good to see Wood back at you again with another edition of Ball About the South with C. Wood. Ball About the South, that sports podcast where it's real sports with a real Southern flavor. I am your host, Kerry Wood, but call me C. Wood for short. At C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me. And this is the newest episode of my little podcast right here. And I definitely appreciate you coming in to uh, take a listen to Ball About the South. Uh, I want to welcome you in. Like I said, this going to be a kind of a quick episode. Uh, we're going to get into, just like the title says, SEC Blockbuster Saturday. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those two huge games that uh, are about to go down on Saturday afternoon and evening. We'll get into the, both of those games, uh, give you my keys for the games, my picks, all of that. And just a few minutes, but first, I definitely want to, like I say, I definitely welcome you in, but I definitely hope that you will like, subscribe, share this podcast, share this episode with those who uh, definitely like sports as much as you do, and tell them all about Ball About the South. Let them know that uh, what you think of it. Hopefully, you have good, positive thoughts about my podcast, uh, and uh, you know how we do it here. We come mostly with everything sports-wise from the south here down in the southeastern part of the country. Uh, but uh, we, you know how we spread things out a little bit and talk a little bit of everything at times. So, again, I would definitely appreciate you liking, subscribing, and all those things. And uh, if you're on Apple, Spotify, uh, platforms like that, I would really appreciate you giving me a five-star rating. And uh, in the comment section, let me know what you think about Ball About the South. Anyway, man, let's get into uh, what we're going to talk about here today. First, I'm going to I'm going to do a few quick hits. Uh, just a few things I kind of have uh, a little bit of commentary on, really quick, and then you know that's a little bit of an appetizer, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of this show. First, I want to start off with the Brooklyn Mess. <laughs> And yes, I do mean the Brooklyn Mets. I mean, you could call it the Brooklyn Nets Mets. Whatever you want to call it, uh, that's exactly what it is. As this thing is really unraveled quickly. As we're just a little over two weeks into the NBA season and uh, uh, Steve Nash is gone. The, the head coach is out of there. And now Kyrie Irving <laughs> is uh, suspended for at least five games for not apologizing about some uh, comments or or tweet that he made about, uh, you know what, to be honest with you, I'm not even really sure <laughs> exactly what he even put out there, to be honest with you. I'm not even here to talk about that necessarily because, look, I'm not I'm not here to say, to say that Kyrie should not have his opinion. We all have the right to our own opinion. We all have a right to freedom of speech and all of that good stuff especially on a um, platform like Twitter. Now, I mean, you can't say every and anything you want to say. I'm not saying that. But I'm not coming down on him for his opinion or anything like that. My thing is, it's just always something with Kyrie. It's just always something. And this is the thing that I, you know, Counterpoint to, and really, uh, when this thing 
this marriage was uh, announced that, you know, KD, Kyrie, they were heading to the Brooklyn Nets. I, I did not think it would work just simply because of the both these guys' egos and um, some of the things we had seen and heard from both of these guys. But I never thought it would get to this point where we are right now. I thought we were talking about a team that would contend at least, a team that would make you know, regular trips to the playoffs, but I thought they would come up short. I just, you know, I just never really, um, never saw the the combination of these two really working as far as winning a championship. Forget winning a championship. This team is not even uh, cohesive enough to win a division championship right now. They're not cohesive enough to win a round in the playoffs, even though, yes, I understand they got really close a couple years ago and everything against the Bucks. but uh, this thing is it's, it's just out of control there in Brooklyn. And of course, now you have scapegoat Steve Nash. He's gone. Sean Marks is still there, so um, they only uh, Kevin Durant was only able to get half of what he wanted. <laughs> this past summer, he wanted Sean Marks, president of basketball operations, and Steve Nash fired. So they did fire Steve Nash. Now, here's the thing about Steve Nash. Man. You know, for me, if you're going to fire this guy seven games into the season, you might as well have just gone on and fired him back in, you know, in the offseason, back this July or August or whenever it was that I think it was August, actually, that Kevin Durant. Uh, made that request that they fire Steve Nash. You might as well have done it back then, but obviously you couldn't do it then if you're the Brooklyn Nets because it wouldn't have been a good look on a couple of different reasons. One, uh, you don't want you didn't want it to look like uh, Kevin Durant was telling you what to do. Okay, so it, it would it would have looked bad from that standpoint. There's no question about it. And then obviously, you know, who do you bring in? to replace him at that point when it short notice. And so here come the the Boston Celtics to the rescue though. Or well at least the you know the um <laughs> uh Ime Udoka and the uh situation that he's in came to the rescue basically. So he's out as the head coach of the Boston Celtics or at least he's suspended uh for the season or whatever. And obviously, you know, him being suspended for the season, you know that that was not, he was never going to coach the Celtics again. So, all of a sudden now, Ime Udoka is seemingly headed to be the Brooklyn Nets head coach. So, obviously, this whole thing has been in the works for a while. Steve Nash, man, I mean, we I mean, we don't know what this guy can do as a head coach yet because I don't think he's ever really gotten a chance to coach this team fully staffed. He just is not. And again, it's another episode, another example of a coach being scapegoat. We saw it with Frank Vogel last year with the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers in there uh, denying, basically, I mean, I'm not going to say they denied that they had a really bad season, but they really downplayed how bad their season really was, saying, you know, they attributed it to injuries and things of that nature. And then, of course, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook, his his uh, issues uh, not fitting in with Frank Vogel and all that. So Frank Vogel loses his job. But we all know that Frank Vogel was far 
far from the only um uh the only culprit or the you know the only reason that the Lakers were as bad as they were last season. So here we go again. I mean it's just ridiculous, man. This whole situation stinks in Brooklyn. And uh man, if you're a Nets fan, you gotta be like I don't know, because this this franchise had it going. When they had guys like Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen. Uh, again, that team wasn't going to win. Yeah, well, they had Kenny Atkinson as their as their head coach. That team played hard. That team played. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's just they they really played well, and it seemed like they really had a bright future. And then you bring in these two guys to kind of just screw the whole thing up. Like I said, I tweeted the other day. I mean, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are two of the two of the players that I think fans of. No matter what what team you're a fan of, I think you love, you really love to watch them. I don't know if there are two more. Maybe Steph Curry's in that group, but there are very few players right now that. Um, fans of other teams love to watch more than a guy like Kevin Durant and a guy like Kyrie Irving. But you probably don't want them on your team. <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's just being real. I mean, Kevin Durant says he's not a leader. He doesn't want to be a leader. And, and you, you just would, cannot sit there and count on Kyrie leading anyone. So it's just ridiculous. So that that is where we are with this Brooklyn thing. Uh, we'll see how it turns out, but it's not looking good there across the river from New York City. Um, another quick hit that I want to get into really quick is uh, this little bit of NFL, the Indianapolis Colts replacing their quarterback, Matt Ryan, since the last time that I spoke with you guys here. I did not do a show last week. I guess the Alabama Crimson Tide, they took a bye week, so I figured I'd take a bye week as well. <laughs> nah, <laughs> it really wasn't that. But uh, that whole thing has really unraveled quickly for Matt Ryan as he has been benched in favor of Sam Ellinger, and they go out uh, and they lose a really heartbreaking 17-16 game to Washington the other day. Really interesting situation where they really – I'm not going to sit here and say Matt Ryan was their top choice as a quarterback to replace Carson Wentz, but you knew they really wanted Matt Ryan, and for him to lose his job not even halfway into the season is just totally remarkable. It's really amazing. I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like that. So now Sam Ellinger is the guy, and it appears that the Colts are kind of in tank mode to a degree. Uh, it's looking like they're going to try to put them, their name in the hat in the sweepstakes to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or maybe even a guy like Hendon Hooker. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll be talking about a couple of those quarterbacks, of course, here in just a few minutes. But uh, really interesting stuff going on there in Indianapolis. Tennessee Titans there in the AFC South, they went, went and won their fourth in a row with their huge win uh, this past Sunday over the uh, Houston Texans and Derrick Henry just continues to run wild over the Texans. It was his fourth or fifth. I'm not sure. It was either fourth or fifth consecutive 200-yard rush game 
in his career against the Houston Texans. That is just remarkable. I mean, I, I just could not believe that when I saw that stat. So uh, he continues his dominance of the Houston Texans. Uh, the Titans didn't even throw a pass in the second half. As uh, Malik Willis, the rookie from Liberty, got his first start because Ryan Tannehill had an illness, so he did not start the game. And uh, they just didn't ask Malik Willis to do a whole lot. And quite frankly, they did not need him to do a whole lot. They put the ball into Derrick Henry's hands, and he handled the rest. And the Tennessee Titans have come away with their fourth consecutive victory to go to 5-2 and two as they continue to lead the AFC South. And they get ready for this huge matchup on Sunday night football with the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to find out a lot about the Titans here this weekend, but the one thing about it, not a lot of pressure on the Titans, in my opinion, or at least it shouldn't be. I mean, obviously, you want to go in there and win that football game, but you're sitting 5-2 and two in this division. You're in really good shape. If you lose this game, is it really going to be that big a deal? Probably not. So I think you can go ahead and kind of let loose and just see what happens on Sunday night football, and hopefully we'll come out with a victory. We'll see. Uh, again, just really... Really crazy stuff going on in the NFC South as well. I thought that was going to be my lead coming into this show. If um, you had the New Orleans Saints win their game, of course, I mean, really blasting the L.A. Raiders. I mean, sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders, that is. I really don't know what's going on with that football team. I, that is one team, probably the, the team I am, have been the most wrong about are the Raiders. Uh, they are they're looking pretty bad to say the least. But that Falcons Carolina game was insane. DJ Moore catches that long pass, basically like a hail mary. What they thought was going to win the game ends up getting taking his helmet off. He gets the uh, uh, the penalty for that. Push the uh, obviously pushes the extra point back. What was it, 15 yards? Kicker goes ahead and misses it game is still tied they go to overtime and of course the Falcons win that game in overtime if the Panthers had won that game you would have been talking about the first place Carolina Panthers at three and five I mean would that have been crazy ridiculous or what I mean I, I, you know that would have been unreal but as it is, the Falcons go ahead and win that game. So they go to 4-4, four and four and they continue to lead this division. How long is that going to last? Yes, Tom Brady, he says, well, you know what? This whole thing with Tampa Bay, the struggles, ah, it'll be easy for them to get over it from the way he sounded. I just don't see it being easy. Obviously, you know, he's going to sit here and say that. But... The reality of it, I don't know if it's going to be easy for them to turn this thing around. I, you know, again, it's far from over. The Atlanta Falcons looking like they're in a pretty decent position. And who knows, maybe if the Saints can play the way they did this past Sunday, they can get themselves back in the race as well. We'll see how it goes. Very interesting stuff to go on that is going on in NFC South. Um... Uh, Really quickly, another quick hit I do want to talk about really quick, and that is the, the college football playoff. Uh, the first poll or the first rankings were announced this past Tuesday, and we got controversy already. Is is <laughs> not surprisingly at all. 
Uh, I don't think there's any surprise in really the top seven or eight teams or whatever you look at. Uh, there's going to be obviously a lot of people are going to disagree whether Tennessee Tennessee should be number one. I think they should be number one. Uh, I probably can agree with Ohio State. I wouldn't have been mad if they had Georgia too, but they have Ohio State too. I think Ohio State's strength of schedule is a little bit tougher than Georgia, so I'm good with that. Then you have the Georgia Bulldogs at three. You have this is where it kind of shakes up a little bit. It's the Clemson Tigers at four instead of Michigan. I would have put Michigan ahead of Clemson, but at this point, it really doesn't matter that much. I mean, all this stuff is going to shake out. We all know how that goes. Uh, these teams have been here before. The majority of them have. Tennessee, I can't say that they've been in this position in a long time because they haven't. Georgia's been here the last four or five years. They know the deal. They Georgia's not going to be upset about being three behind number two because they know what they have to do. They've got number one coming to their building <laughs> coming up this weekend. So they know what's up. They know they know what they have in front of them. I don't remember seeing one Georgia fan complaining about being number three behind Ohio State. And I'm sure there are some, but I didn't see them. And I think that they know what they've got to do. Uh, a team like Ohio State knows what they have to do. A team like Michigan that's been there, they know what they have to do. They know what's coming up here in a couple of weeks, in a few weeks. They've got, you know, they've got to go to uh, to the big, to um, sorry, to the horseshoe and beat Ohio State. They know what's up. And so Clemson, I mean, are you kidding me? They know what's up as well, but, but of course their path may not be as clear because of the conference that they play in. So that's where it's going to be interesting to see how Clemson plays out. Obviously, if they go undefeated, more likely they're going to be good. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. But Clemson's been there year after year after year after year. They know what the deal is. A team like TCU obviously does not know what the deal is. And that is where a lot of the chatter is. A lot of people have a huge problem with Alabama being number six ahead of number seven TCU. Here's the deal, man. <laughs> I mean, I understand TCU is undefeated, and that's, that's fine. As an Alabama fan, if they had placed TCU ahead of Alabama, it really wouldn't have been a big deal. Again, because Alabama's been that they know what they have to do. They know everything is in front of them. Now, Alabama has a loss, so they don't really control their own destiny, but they know the deal. Here's my thing about Alabama TCU, man. They asked the committee member or the committee chairman or whatever why they picked Alabama ahead of TCU. And he went on this long, drawn-out answer. So I'm like, well, you know, square equals pi and... You know, the uh, the coefficient of this and, you know, we divided by five and we carried the one and we, we you know, square, hit the square root of that. I mean, he just went on and on <laughs> with this crazy answer that, that, look, man, just go ahead and tell these people you don't think TCU would beat Alabama on a neutral field. That is why you place TCU behind Alabama. Point blank simple. That's That's all it is. Whether you know whether or not, and I understand where people are coming from. And I understand fans, especially TCU and Big Twelve fans. I don't get some of these media members 
and things that they've said. I mean, guys like Joel Klatt, I've, heard, I've learned to have a pretty good respect for him with how he handled things uh, with the USFL this past year. And um, I don't think he's a Bama hater or anything. I just think he really wants to prop up. He is a big-time uh, defender of the Pac-12 and the Big 12. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Joel Klatt is cool. But guys like Danny Connell, it just seems like everything Bama does is an issue. Uh, there are other guys, there are other media members, and not one of them. I mean, do you do they actually believe TCU would beat Alabama on a on a neutral field right now? I mean, I just I just can't believe that they believe that. So why are you sitting here coming on talking about how crazy, how ridiculous it is that Alabama's ahead of TCU and how <laughs> the committee, the playoff committee has such a love affair with Alabama. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, right now, I, I, you know, I, I can't say I'm extremely accurate with this, but I would assume Alabama will probably be a two-touchdown favorite over TCU right now. <laughs> right now, they'd be a, they would be a two-touchdown favorite. I really believe that. So, that is what they're basing it on. Is it fair necessarily? Well, maybe not. But I mean, look, ask yourself this: Do you think TCU? Let's let's trade schedules. Do you think TCU would be seven and zero or eight and zero with Alabama's schedule? Do you do you think they'd be eight and zero? And do you think Alabama would be eight and zero with TCU's schedule? <laughs> I mean, I think that's an easy way to sit there and put that thing down. You tell me your answer. I'm going to tell you my answer. I'm, actually, I don't have to tell you my answer. You know what my answer is to that. <laughs> anyway, I, I kind of had to get that out there. I mean, again, we've seen this year after year. It, uh, when Alabama loses a game in the regular season, it's the same type of uh, response. We'll see if TCU can can do better than some of the other teams in the past. When There have been teams that oh, this team should be ahead of Alabama or blah, blah, this or blah, blah, that. And then a week or two later, they go out and lose. We'll, we'll see if TCU can not be, if they can uh, do a little bit better than that and remain undefeated. Anyway, man, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get into this blockbuster weekend in the SEC when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, let's get into this SEC thing. And you know how we do it with my Around the SEC. Let's start it up. All right, y'all, y'all know what that sound means. Let's get into the SEC and this big blockbuster weekend that we have in store here starting Saturday afternoon at 2.30 Central Time. That huge game there between the hedges, between the Georgia Bulldogs, as they host the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, Obviously, that is the game of the year so far. Definitely the game of this weekend, but the game of the year so far for sure. It has number one against number three. But we're going to get into that game last. We're going to go with this uh, the later game. And that is number six, Alabama paying a visit to Death Valley. And the number ten ranked LSU Tigers. Um, obviously, talking about that college football playoff ranking, the LSU Tigers were quite 
the discussion as well. A lot of people do not think the uh, Bayou Bengals deserve to be ranked 10th. You know, I'm not going to sit here and uh, totally disagree with that, but I think you look at the teams around them or behind them, I guess, basically uh, probably 11 through 15. Do you think that they're, you know, uh, worse than those teams? Do you think they're any of those teams are better than LSU? I think it would be highly debatable. So for me, putting LSU at 10 is, you know, it's, it's just not that big a deal. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's just not that big a deal. You got some people on there saying, oh, well, they just, <laughs> they lifted uh, LSU to that ranking just so it would help Alabama and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, man, come on now. Come on, man. Let's, let's just be real about this. So I, I just don't think it would have mattered if LSU was 15 or 14 or 16 or whatever. It just really doesn't matter. It's a huge game no matter which way you slice it. And uh, let's look at a few keys of this football game. Uh, again, the game's going to be played there in Baton Rouge. There's a big chance of rain. And really, maybe not just rain, possibly some thunder, uh, thunderstorms, thunder showers, or whatever. So uh, it's quite possible we could have a couple delays in this game. I, I really don't know. I'm not really sure how exactly it's going to go. But it's not a good forecast right now from what I'm seeing. So... You know, you sit there and you look at that. I mean, uh, I think just looking at it from a standpoint of really good weather, um, I think the biggest uh, keys for a team like Alabama coming into this game, I just think it's just kind of getting your identity back on the road. Uh, You know, again, the penalties have been a huge, huge topic of discussion, rightfully so. Um, and you know, over the last few weeks, and they cleaned a lot of that up in that game against Mississippi State. They won that game thirty to six. I thought the offense looked pretty good in the first half, at least passing wise. Um, I think I think in that football game, there was a lot of people upset about uh, how the team looked. They, you know, a lot of people did not like the fact that. Um, they didn't score much in the second half. They had, you know, they really didn't push the needle or anything like that. Um, and I look at it like this. I kind of, I kind of look at it like this from this perspective. I think that Mississippi State played a defense where they kind of dropped their safeties and everything. I think they really played with the mentality that they were going to let Alabama kind of dink and dunk. They were going to give Alabama the short passes, but they were not going to let their guys like um, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks or JoJo Earl or whoever beat them deep. So they, uh, I think they really played a really soft kind of defense to a degree, but um, it really was a defense. You know, it was just basically what Bryce Young was basically taking what he could get, taking, uh, taking what the defense gave him rather. And uh, I just don't think the opportunities to throw down the field were really there. I think it was also good coverage by Mississippi State. I think they did a good job. But Alabama was able to put 24 points on the board in the first half. And then the second half, you know, I just think it was one of those things, man, where Alabama, you kind of see it before the bye week with this team. That game before the bye week is always kind of a game where they just kind of just – you know, it seems like they're really ready to get to a bye week. They're just kind of 
go through the motions and everything. And I think that's exactly what happened in the second half of that football game uh, last weekend, a couple of weekends ago against Mississippi State. So uh, I would not play a whole lot into that. Now, the running game has been a bit of a um, disappointment, a bit of concern. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I think when the Alabama, again, I, I don't think Alabama, we're a long time from, you know, removed from at where Alabama was a team where they could just run it when they wanted to. Uh, we haven't been that in a couple seasons. So, but I do think they're a team that can run it when they need to. And uh, I think that would be good. Uh, again, but I think keeping the pressure off Bryce Young is a huge key for Alabama in this game. I think that uh, obviously, you know, keeping the penalties down. They only had three penalties in the game against Mississippi State. Obviously, that is a huge key. But for whatever reason, Alabama forgets that when they go on the road. And obviously, this is not the place to go. <laughs> Death Valley on Saturday night is not the place you want to go. Uh, penalties, turnovers, things of that nature. You don't, you do not want to do it if, it, if you're playing that type of game. LSU is going to have a chance to win this football game, no question. But I think uh, you want to get a run game going, and now it may be more important than ever to get that run game going if the weather is like uh, the forecast is. So we'll see how it goes. Alabama comes into this game with 13-point favorite. Uh, you know, again, but I, I think you have to get really good contribution from your run game to kind of keep things honest. And then if you stay away from penalties, the passing game, especially if you have good weather, will take care of itself. On the other end of the ledger, you're talking about LSU in this football game, a couple of their keys to winning this football game, obviously is going to be the opposite. They need to get pressure on Bryce Young. I mean, they need to be in his face. They need to force him into uh, a couple mistakes if possible. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, they've there have been teams that have been able to do that some. Tennessee, despite the fact that Alabama put 49 points up on them, or at least uh, 42 offensive points anyway, Tennessee was able to get a little pressure on them and brought, bothered them a couple times before, you know, they made some adjustments. And, of course, Bryce kind of being the magician that he is <laughs> – uh, made plays anyway, made plays regardless. Uh, then you sit there and you look up. I think another key for Tennessee is really, for LSU rather, I'm sorry, for LSU is kind of, uh, uh, it's basically, I don't think you want to get into a shootout. I think Jaden Daniels has come a long way this season. I don't think there's any question about that. And that's one thing I want to talk about too, though, really quick while I'm talking about the LSU's keys to win this game. Uh, Brian Kelly, a lot of people came down on him earlier this season. You had a lot of people come down on him after this hire was made. You know, I know that he came with some of the crazy stuff that he had. You know, he came uh, talking with the Southern accent and he came with some of the dancing and the, you know, kind of weird stuff that he came with or whatever. And look, I don't care about none of that. Okay, I mean, all of that stuff is for show. All of this stuff is, um, you know, to kind of, uh, I think, to com to create some, you know, uh, uh, happy some happy feelings around the program, things of that nature. That part, man, I don't care about that. Can this dude coach? Okay. And I don't know why people are running around here still thinking this dude cannot coach. I just don't understand it. <laughs> 
I don't get it, man. I mean, I'm just like, okay, Notre Dame, this is a team, a school that's um, that's an independent. And they, they they have, again, they're Notre Dame, and they have a lot of perks. Don't get me wrong. They get a lot of perks. There's no question about that. You know, they even have their own network, right? But uh, the thing about Notre Dame is it's not easy to recruit there. We all know that. And this team, for you know, has done its job, man. He took this team three se- uh, separate times, once to the BCS championship game, obviously, and two uh, playoff appearances. It's not easy to do. Did he do it from a conference? Did he do it from the SEC? No. Did he do it from the Big Ten? No. But Notre Dame always plays a tough schedule. They always play the USC's and the Stanford's. Uh, they, you know, they don't play necessarily cupcakes anyway. I mean, you know, some of those teams have not been good lately or whatever. But I mean, that's not Notre Dame's fault, right? Uh, they played Texas. They played Oklahoma. They played Ohio State in the past. They just played Ohio State this past season. So, or this current season. So, I mean, I, I don't. I never understood the the biggest difference from what. Brian Kelly is seeing here in the SEC and from what he saw at Notre Dame is in at Notre Dame, even though they had a tough schedule here, you know, in a lot of years, they didn't have to do it like uh, LSU's doing it right now. LSU, they sat there and they went to the swamp. They beat Florida. They beat up on them pretty good. Won that game by double digits. And, oh, man. Oh, you know, you feel good about yourself. Nice, good road win. And now you've you feel like you, and you go home and celebrate that road win, and then you sit there and look at the schedule. You got Ole Miss coming to town, top 10 team. <laughs> top 10 team coming to town the very next Saturday. And then you sit there and you beat them, and now you're really feeling good about yourself. You had two really nice wins under your belt. Really feeling good. You're going to a bye week, and then you look up at the schedule, and you got Alabama coming to town. <laughs> That's basically what Brian Kelly has not been used to. Other than that, I, I just don't have a reason to think this dude is not going to be successful at LSU. And we saw, you know, again, a lot of people came down on him after that Florida State loss, and then and I was, I was trying to be kind of the voice of reason on Twitter. I'm like, you know, I just, I would be a little bit, I would. Say that a little bit slower. I wouldn't, you know, I would not bank on what you're saying right now. This this dude is going to be just fine. I think he is a really good hire for LSU. And uh, again, the future I think is going to be okay for them. Now back to this game. Again, like I said, getting pressure on Bryce Young is going to be huge if they can, if they're able to do it. And I think again, obviously, if you can keep Bryce off the field. Again, Jaden Daniels has really played well of late. I don't know that I trust him getting into a shootout though with a guy like Bryce Young. That is, you know, that's why I would probably, um, I, I would have, I would say that's probably not uh, in his best interest. But uh, hey, we'll see what happens. They put up 40 points plus here in the last couple of games against good competition. That is very impressive. So when you sit there and you look at it from that standpoint, and getting those receivers like Boutte going, they finally kind of gotten going here the last couple of weeks. That's huge for this team. 
because their running game has not been there. Uh, it's been a couple of years really since their LSU run game has really been potent. So getting them involved obviously is going to be huge. Um, but I think you sit there and you look at LSU, man. Um, this team, uh, they've been really, I think, really solid on both sides of the ball. You just really have to give them credit. I just don't know if they're really great at any in anything. We all know Jaden Daniels uh, has that tendency to be able to run very well, and that has given Alabama problems in the past. We'll see how, how that goes. Um, but, again, I think getting into a shootout with Alabama probably would not be the right thing for LSU to do if the weather is good and all of that. Uh, with that said, man, like I said, Alabama comes into this game a 13-point favorite. I like Alabama, and I think that that number is pretty close to what I would have this game at. If I was picking a number, I would pick this game at Alabama 34-23, somewhere in that range. Um, but, again, it would not surprise me at all if LSU wins this game, but I think Alabama's going to be okay. But, hey, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think you're talking about a tight game into the fourth quarter on Saturday night there. In Death Valley, man, that's going to be crazy. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere anytime Alabama comes to town. Alabama's on LSU there in Baton Rouge. We'll see if hopefully that's not going to come to an end like the Tennessee streak came to an end. Uh, it's nothing, nowhere near as long as that streak was anyway, but Alabama's been really successful in Baton Rouge over the years. I'm talking about way on back there before I was born. <laughs> way on back. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, man, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll come right back, and we're going to talk about that huge, huge game between the hedges when Ball About the South continues. Mobile home, that's when it's back to the lab again, yo. This old rhapsody 
make me king as we move toward a new world order. A normal life is boring, but superstardom's close to postmortem. It only grows harder, homie grows hotter. He blows us all over, these n****s is all on him. Coast to coast shows, he's known as the globe trotter. Lonely roads, God only knows he's grown farther from home, he's no father. He goes home and barely knows his own daughter. But hold your nose, cause here goes the cold water. Alright y'all, we're getting back into uh, this SEC Blockbuster Weekend and we're going to go to this the huge game, the game of the day, the game of the weekend, the game of the year so far. Georgia Bulldogs and the Tennessee Volunteers doing battle between the Hedges and Athens and uh, not a, you know, look, this game has been talked about here I think pretty much ever since um, Tennessee beat Alabama. We knew that this matchup would be set up. Obviously, yeah, that Kentucky game with Tennessee that could have, you know, kind of uh, spoiled it a little bit from being one versus two or one versus three or whatever and both teams being undefeated. But Tennessee quickly <laughs> took care of all of that talk with that huge 44-6 to victory over the Kentucky Wildcats last Saturday. So, uh, obviously, no need to even think about that part of it. Um, that said, man, obviously the biggest thing for Tennessee coming into this football game is to uh, uh, you got that number one by your name. Uh, that is it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with that. Um, and this is something Tennessee has not had in a long time. That it, it that it just is and. You have to. You cannot sit there and think that that doesn't play a factor in your head. It, it just. Uh, we've seen it so many times, man. And I was talking a few minutes ago about Alabama and some of the teams that were ahead of them in the uh, whether it have been the BCS rankings years ago or the playoff rankings here recently that have had that number one next to their name, <laughs> and they did not know what to do with it. We've seen schools like Iowa State in the past. The teams like Iowa here recently uh, have had that designation, and they 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 could they couldn't handle it. So this is going to be very interesting, just from that standpoint, to see how this thing goes for Tennessee. Obviously, for me, a big. Uh, key for them is the opposite of what LSU wants to do on Saturday in my opinion. I don't think LSU wants to get into an up and down the field battle with Alabama. I think Tennessee needs to get into that type of battle against Georgia. Not to a a 52-49 kind of thing because I don't think Tennessee is going to score 40 or 
I don't think they're going to score 50 on on Georgia. I think they can get to 40. I think I think Tennessee can score 40 on this Georgia defense. I don't know if Tennessee could have scored 40 on Georgia defense from last season. I don't think that they could have. This Tennessee team can score that many against this Georgia team. While Georgia, I think, is going to come up with a much better game plan than Alabama came up with, I think you're going to see Georgia be able to or at least attempt to put more pressure um, more frequently on uh, Hendon Hooker, I think that while they're definitely going to do that, this defense has still kind of has its holes. It still has some deficiencies. Everybody talks about secondary play, and we've had a lot of people talk about Alabama's secondary play, but I've seen that Georgia secondary get lost on several occasions this season, whether it be not playing the ball correctly in the air, missed tackles, things of that nature, a lot more than we saw from last season. So I think Tennessee can Tennessee has to get the pace up in this football game. Because I think while Stetson Bennett can definitely play at that pace, I think Stetson Bennett's a much better quarterback than a lot of people give him credit for being. He is not Hendon Hooker. He's not Bryce Young. He's not CJ Stroud. And I think I don't think he has the weapons either. Even though yes, they have those big tight ends, Brock Bowers. This guy has done everything on the field for them offensively. I still have yet to see the really the big time guys on the outside. I, I don't see a Riley Ridley yet for the Georgia Bulldogs. I don't see a Pickens or George Pickens yet for that Georgia football team on the outside. And so I think if you can play it that way, if you can get the get uh, that game up and down the field, and you know Georgia's not kind of playing keep away, if you can kind of take that run game away from Georgia to a certain degree, I don't think I don't know if you're going to stop Georgia because this Tennessee defense has a bunch of holes as well. But I think that if you can get it to a point where Georgia kind of becomes a little bit one dimensional. I think if Tennessee can play from the lead, which I think that is a, would be a huge thing, then I think it's advantage Tennessee at that point. Yeah, that's not that's not going to be easy to do though. All right, it's just not. It's just not. But uh, I do think that Tennessee has a chance to get it to that point. We'll just see have to see how how they can do it, man. But. Um, Getting guys like uh, Hyatt. I mean, this dude is unbelievable. And now he may be even a little bit more dangerous because they have Cedric Tillman back. Cedric Tillman was not in the, in the lineup when they played Alabama. He's back. So, I mean, this is the team, Tennessee, that is second in passing yards in the country. 353 yards per game. Uh, Georgia's not bad either. They're sitting there at eighth. That's why I said a lot of... I don't think you can sit there. While I do think the better thing would be for Tennessee to kind of try to play this game fast and keep him and Hooker on the field as much as they possibly can, it's not like Georgia's a slouch throwing the football. I'm not sitting there telling you that. But I, I, if, if you get into a shootout, I like him and Hooker's chances and I like his um, offensive weapons a little bit better than what they have over there at Georgia. I just know that you can't sit there. Uh, it has to be strategic. I'm not saying you just want all out, just all out Kansas City, um, 
kind of L.A. Rams shootout that we had on on Monday Night Football a couple of years ago. I'm not saying you want that, but I do. I don't think you want this game uh, to a point where Georgia's controlling the clock. They're controlling the momentum. I don't think you want that if you're Tennessee. I think you're much better off scoring and winning this game if that game is a high-scoring game. I think if you get this game, for me, I think the winner's going to have to get into the 30s. I just, I really believe that. I'm talking about the number one overall offense in the country. Georgia's the number four overall defense, which is great. I just still don't think this defense is quite where that defense was last season. So, uh, we'll see. Now, if you had asked me, and again, I think this is totally opposite for Georgia. It's their key. I think you want to keep Hendon Hooker off the field. I think you want to control the pace of that football game. I, want, I think you want long, sustained drives. Because if you're Tennessee, if you're looking for long, sustained drives against Georgia, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to hit big plays. Point blank simple. You're not going to beat them with 10, 15 play, six, five, six minute drives. You're going to beat them like you beat Alabama. You're going to have to beat them with big time plays. Georgia wants to do the opposite. I think Georgia wants to control the clock to a degree. They want to keep Hendon Hook on the sideline. They want to shorten the game a little bit. Again, I don't think Georgia's scared to play a shootout against Tennessee. But I think they're a little bit, you know, I don't think they want to get into that kind of matchup. I think they would rather keep things where um, they control the tempo. And that that would be a slower tempo for them would be the best thing. I think I just think that's the key. And again, obviously getting pressure on him to hook. And that's something Alabama just did not do. Uh, so that being said, if you had asked me a couple of weeks ago, especially right after the Alabama game, for me, I would have gone with Georgia straight out. No question about it. No question about it. And the reason why is because I just think Georgia has enough offense and Tennessee's defense is just not good enough to win a game like that. Then that 44-6 game happened <laughs> last Saturday against Kentucky. Now, look, Kentucky's offense is nowhere near as good as any one of these teams. I get that. But it was still Kentucky. It was still a pretty good pretty good win. That was an impressive victory. I don't care that Kentucky's def, uh, offense is not as good. Kentucky still plays good defense. Pretty good defense. 44-6. Game was never in doubt. So did that make me change my mind totally? Did I go from picking Georgia to win this game, or am I still kind of on the, on Georgia's side? It's a tough question, <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna stay with Georgia's side. And and I I said it at the opening of this um, breakdown of this football game. That number one ranking is is. It's huge. It, like I said, it has done a lot. It has been the kryptonite or whatever you want to call it for a lot of teams, especially teams that don't know what to do with it or have not had that um, ranking in a long time. Tennessee is one of those teams. I think that, I think obviously the, 
Uh, the game being between the hedges makes a difference. And I just think the Tennessee's defense, while they are, I think they're improving. They played well last week. I think Georgia's offense is good enough to win a game uh, that gets into the 30s. I don't know if they're good enough to win a game that gets in the 40s. I mean, obviously, they're good enough. I just don't think they want that type of game. I look for this game to be somewhere in the 30s, and I think Georgia finds a way to win this football game. I have Georgia winning and beating the number one Tennessee Volunteers. I have that game at 37 to 30. So I think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a really good game to watch. I think it's going to be really two really good football games in this SEC uh, spectacular Saturday that we have coming up. Uh, anyway, man, so that is that for the SEC. A lot of uh, lot going on, to say the least, but the, the eyes of the nation are going to be on those two games. Uh, you look quickly at some of the other games, though. You have Florida visiting uh, Aggieland, Texas A&M. Aggies come in three-point favorite in that game. They had some uh, good things happen with their uh, freshman quarterback, Wigman, um, still resulting in a loss last week to Ole Miss. I think Texas A&M comes back and wins that game against Florida tomorrow. Uh, you got Missouri hosting Kentucky. That is going to be an interesting football game. Missouri beat South Carolina last week, beat them by double digits in Columbia. Columbia, South Carolina is because you just can't say Columbia. They can't say Missouri beat South Carolina and Columbia because both of them play in Columbia. <laughs> you got Columbia, South Carolina, and you got Columbia, Missouri, which we call Como. So, uh, but yeah, I, 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 Missouri, that is that is an interesting game. You're talking about rain in that game as well. Kentucky's been a bit of a disappointment to a degree. If they can win that game, I think they still be on track of, to be about where I thought they would be. They lose that game, they would be five and four. That would not be good. That would not be good at all, especially when you have Georgia coming up. If they lose that game, and you got a lot of really uneasy Kentucky fans on social media right now, big time. A lot of them coming after Stoops and coming after the offensive coordinator. Uh, we'll have to see how that one goes. But I I don't know, man. I, I kind of like Missouri in that football game in, in, a, in a mild upset. It's going to be interesting, though. Uh, we look at uh, Mississippi State hosting Auburn. The Bulldogs are 12.5-point favorite. I did not get into Brian Harson, And that is one thing I do want to talk about here really quick. Brian Harson, of course, has been fired. And Cadillac Williams is the interim head coach for now for the Auburn Tigers, which is a very interesting situation. I'm not going to get into all of this, man, as far as <laughs> uh, predicting who's going to be the new coach and all of that. Uh, I'm hearing that they're really trying to go at Lane Kiffin, which that would be crazy. That would be very, <laughs> very intriguing if that were to happen. Uh, I'm hearing that Lane Kiffin has kind of pulled his name from that or whatever. If that, if even if any of that is even true, but I'm gonna say this about all of them. Uh, they better be careful. That's all I can say. I mean, then they so far they have not been because they have they have just been firing coaches. And again, they they 
you know, they had Gus Melzahn around a good while, but uh, that is not the best job. I mean, it's a, don't get me wrong, it's a really good job. But right now, current, currently, when you, you know, it's not the easiest job to sit there and pull a guy that's, you know, looked at as being a really a top flight type guy, top tier type guy. And I guess right now you probably say a top tier type guy would be maybe a Luke Fickle or somebody like that at Cincinnati. But, you know, let's just say you call him. I'm not saying Luke Fickle's a, a candidate or anything. Let's say you call Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle picks up the phone and is like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 okay. But then Luke Fickle's going to sit there and think about it. It's like, man, you know, um, right now I'm sharing the state with Ryan Day in this Ohio State program, but it's not really affecting me as much because I'm not in the same league with them. I can kind of handle it a little bit, although I would definitely look at something better. But in Auburn, you're dealing with the GOAT. And Nick Saban is not looking like he's going to retire in like next year or anything. Okay. And beyond that, you sit there and look just to your east about two hours. It's Kirby Smart. <laughs> that makes that Auburn job very tough. It just does, man. I mean, Auburn has a lot of history, a lot of tradition. They've had some really good football teams, really good football players. Don't get me wrong. But this situation right now is just not a situation that's going to just every co- every big-time coach is just going to drool to have. That's just bottom line. So yeah, I think you got to be careful if you're Auburn right now, man. I mean, this thing is really spiral out of control. I'm not really a fan of how they handled this Brian Harson thing, really, from the offseason, even to now. I don't know, man. We'll see how it turns out. But I'm just going to tell them they better be really careful in picking this new hire. That's all I can say. So, anyway, they get Mississippi State tomorrow, then start Vegas. And then uh, the other game. The the final game on the slate on Saturday, South Carolina Gamecocks five and three coming off that loss to Missouri at home. They travel to Nashville to play Vanderbilt. Should be an interesting week, man. Uh, really quick, I'm just gonna get into a, a little bit of the NBA uh, real quick. Um, obviously, we got those huge games in the NFL, the Titans, the big game of the weekend, at least around here. Uh, they go to Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. Looking forward to that one big time. Uh, obviously, I would say probably Kansas, Kansas City wins that game, but I'm hoping that I'm wrong. <laughs> obviously, uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, I want to just kind of look, touch on a few of the teams in the NBA. here. We're a little bit over two weeks in. Uh, we're looking at some of the surprise teams. Look at the Utah Jazz. They have been a big time surprise. And the one thing I want to say, the reason, really the reason I bring it up, uh, Utah is a team that I talked about in my NBA preview. And I was, I know, obviously, that Colin Sexton had uh, gone there, signed in that trade or whatever. I forgot they had Mike Conley. And I was like, oh, you know what? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how I forgot that they had Mike Conley Jr. I, I don't know how I forgot that. But you sit there and look at them being able to stagger Mike Conley Jr. and Colin Sexton, that's pretty strong. 
And they have guys that, you know, I was always, you know, I kind of always liked Laurie Markin, and I don't know if he's had really had the, some of the better opportunities there in Chicago. I think he's a guy that a lot of people liked coming out of college. I kind of like him. Uh, I kind of like that basketball team, Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, again, I don't, I don't know that their team is just gonna obviously just make the playoffs or whatever, top six. But I think they could be a top. Uh, 10 team for sure um, that's a tough West we all know that but uh, I think this is a team that can make the plan I don't think it's any question about it so yeah we'll see how that goes San Antonio's been quite surprising I don't think they'll make the play in though I still don't think that about them and that Josh Primo thing is just really crazy I really don't know what to say about that not really understanding why the female waited till the ninth time for him to expose himself. I'm not really sure what's up with that, so I'm not even going to get into it, but just a terrible, terrible situation. However you look at it with Josh Primo really possibly messing up his entire career, and he's only 19 years old right now. Already, already clear waivers and all of that. Just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know where to begin on that one. So, uh, but anyway, the, the Spurs have been a really big surprise. Keldon Johnson, the, the former Kentucky Wildcat, leading the way with that basketball team. They've been quite the surprise so far. Again, we talked about Brooklyn, a couple of teams that have not been you know, kind of on the other side of that ledger. The Lakers did get them a win. Who knew that Matty Ice would be able to leave the Indianapolis Colts? <laughs> <laughs> leave their bench and come and hit a game tying three for the, the Lakers so they could get the ball to get the game to overtime and beat Zion and the Pelicans the other night who knew who knew Matty Ice had a jump on him like that I didn't know it <laughs> no nah, but seriously kudos to him to uh, that Matt Ryan uh, he made the team re- really at the last second uh, there in LA uh, he made it because his ability to drill jumpers like that, and so that's you know that's a really good story, man. Um, kid that I think that can't pretty much. I don't think they have had any thoughts about him making the team, and he did it, and now he's really producing for them. That's a good story. Uh, so, team that's been a little bit surprising for me. I mean, the Orlando Magic. How do you? How are you that long? With all those six, eight, six, nine, six, ten, six, eleven guys, seven foot guys, you can't rebound. You really can't defend. But one thing I will say: Paulo Bancaro looks the part. Paulo Bancaro looks the part big time. This dude is real deal. He looks like the number one pick overall. I don't think there's any question about that. He's looked a lot better so far than Jabari Smith has. I, I definitely will tell you that. But I think. Jabari Smith is going to be fine. The Houston situation is a lot different than Orlando. I think that Orlando is set up for Bancaro to be uh, it's set up for him to have the ball a little bit more than, than it is right now for Jabari Smith to have the ball in Houston. So I think that makes a big difference. In Houston you've got a couple guys that are ball dominant to a degree when you talk about 
Kevin Porter Jr., who is kind of the point guard right now, or point guard right now, or I guess you say lead guard, combo guard, whatever you want to call him. Then you have Jalen Green, of course. He was the number two pick overall from the 2021 draft. He's had his moments. Now, he really kind of struggled here in the, this last week on this road trip. This is a crazy road trip. This is my favorite team, the Houston Rockets, so I watch them every night. Uh, crazy road trip. Eight of nine games on the road. Um, they played the Clippers twice during this. They've played the Utah Jazz twice. They've played Memphis. A really tough, tough um, schedule so far for the, for the Rockets. They've only played two games, I think, at home, and the rest of the games have been on the road. And uh, Jalen Green has struggled big time, but he came back, had a really good game the other night, at least a really good second half against the Clippers. So I think he's going to be fine. It's, it's just about them finding a groove. <laughs> now, when I say a groove, excuse me, I'm sorry. When I say a groove, I mean like as far as being able to play together. And I think that when you have two ball-dominant guys like that, it, it gets a little bit difficult to a degree. Kevin Porter Jr., I think, has played well this season for the most part. Jalen Green, again, he's had he's been a little bit up and down. But I think finding that that balance has been the problem. It's not a talent problem. This dude can shoot the three. Uh, he's athletic as you want him to be. His defense has improved a lot. I think that's one thing that has to be said about this guy. Uh, he's he's done really well defensively. You can see the the work that he did in the off season on his body. He's been in the weight room, things of that nature. I'm not worried about Jalen Green. I think he's going to be just fine. But you know, I am starting to question head coach Stephen Silas a little bit right now. On uh, how he's playing him and his rotations and things of that nature. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But right now, I really think Jalen Green is going to be just fine. But the Rockets, again, they've only won one game so far this season. So it's going to be another long season. But, uh, again, I'm still very excited for this uh, the, for the future of this team for sure. Anyway, again, like I said, I just wanted to go over a few of those scenes to a few, a couple of the surprises so far in the NBA. We got a long, long way to go, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's been a good season so far. The Milwaukee Bucks still undefeated. They look like, you know, I thought that they would be coming into the season. And it's definitely one of the teams that definitely uh, could win the whole thing. Anyway, man, that's all I have for you guys tonight. A really short show, at least for me anyway. I <laughs> uh, hope you enjoyed it. Again, I definitely would love for you to follow me on Twitter and on IG, at Seawood on Sports. Please subscribe. Like the show, uh, the podcast. Subscribe. Do all those things. Uh, no matter what platform you are, so that you know what the next time that I drop a uh episode or every time I drop an episode for that matter and uh, again I just really look forward to next week when we come back we'll talk about this blockbuster Saturday in the SEC we'll look over some other things of course in the NFL we'll see what the Titans did in Kansas City we'll talk about all of that next week right here on Ball About the South I will see you then